Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everyone, it's Yasser and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joa will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you could let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to The Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A-licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Topic tonight is developing decision makers. Maybe just worth giving some from your perspective around what that actually means in terms of what is the decision maker trying to develop. Well, the thing we've got to consider is who's making the decision. Is it us or is it the players? You know, that's the first one. So if we're talking about developing decision makers, we're developing players to have that ability to make decisions, solve problems, actually govern their own decisions and play with instinct. That's, you know, and obviously the environments that that leads to versus the coach being the one that makes all the decisions. You know, it could be a coach who's telling them and giving them all the answers coaches who are providing or joysticking from the side or or designing like what I've seen today even and even in some of the games you know what I was watching with the academy um, you'll see it you know it's no different it's the same all over the world isn't it how much of these practices or games or match day coaching are we actually allowing the players to problem solve um, and I know there's that fine balance between letting them solve problems and sometimes helping them because sometimes you've got to help them, right? And it's how you help. But if they're always relying on us giving them the answer, it comes back to that first question I asked is who's making the decision? To me, developing decision makers means creating environments where players become more game responsive so they can make the decision. They can actually be adaptable and skillful. I don't know how that resonates with you. No, I think you're spot on. So I think the key bit is like, you know, like you said, ask, asking yourself who's making that decision. But just a, a few kind of things that just popped into my head as you're speaking there. And one of them is people say, yeah, that's great. We want players to make decisions. We understand that. We get, we're fully on board with that. But what does that look like in terms of translating that from sessions to games? How much, how much decisions are we allowing them to make in games? How much should we be actively involved on a match day as well? So let's let's start with that and we'll unpack it from there. 
Well, yeah, and I think like even on a match day, you know, it's it's the same with with training. We want to make sure that we're creating environments where they can physically figure stuff out. So, are we giving them problems to solve? You know, I've got a quite a clearly defined coaching philosophy that's worked for me in the sense that I try these four this four C approach, which we'll try and unpack obviously in the upcoming webinar. So, one is around choices. So have they got decisions to make, problems to solve? What choices and consequences of those actions are we letting them be become more familiar with? Because that's a key thing. Like, does the design of the practice reinforce bad habits or good habits? You know, I watched the practice today where because of the rules and the conditions of the practice, the incentive that the coach was encouraging them to do, and even by the nature of the design of the practice in terms of the shape and stuff, encouraged a lot of square balls. They were constantly playing square. So, of course, those balls were getting cut out and intercepted. And even the ones that didn't, it's still a bad habit. You know, and they're playing square in their own half and it, it can be dangerous. So, obviously, it comes back to, like, are you training the way you want them to play? Are you asking them to do things that you wouldn't necessarily want them to do or try and do better in a match day? So, how can we develop that realism or that preference? So, there has to be consequences to actions, right? So if I lose the ball in this area, what is the consequence? Because that allows us to to, to develop decision makers. You need to understand the why. So that leads to my one of my last C's in no particular order. It's choices, competition, cl- uh, challenges and clarity. So what are the individual challenges that you can set players or team challenges? So the individual team task in order to guide their decision making how you're finding ways to stretch and challenge them based on their needs and wants. The competition piece is huge, right? Because the game is competitive. The object of the game is to score more goals than the opposition. How can we find ways to develop competition with each other? How can we individually challenge people with, whether it be the duels, whether it be outplaying and outthinking in your 1v1 or whatever it may be. So there's little things around that. And then obviously... The last one for me, the clarity is a huge piece. I know you've mentioned it, Tony, a few others in previous discussions where, like, for me, it's what's the relevance to me and why? How do you check for understanding? And how do we know that the players really understand? And, and again, developing that, that clarity is a huge word, right, for the players that it makes sense um, and they, they understand how it fits in with their football identity. And things like that. So the, this is how I try and develop decision makers where each practice should incorporate those four C's, right? And if it doesn't, you know, if it's not organized, it can't be game-like. So the first sort of element of a practice for me is organization. Once you've got the organization right, then you can start to look at the game-likeness. And then, of course, from there, you can probably look at the repetitions and then obviously how challenging it is and where you can stretch people individually with the with the with the coaching it should be no different really on a match day you know we've spent a lot of time planning the practice how much time do we p- prepare planning opportunities within a match so what individual objectives do players have for a match day how are they going to solve problems are we recognizing that yaz needs to get better at defending in wide areas and Tony's a really good forward who keeps running into that channel and he's posing questions. At what point do we go, actually, no, this is a great opportunity for Yaz. Yes, we want to win the game, but actually this might be a great development opportunity for Yaz 
to get better at dealing with that forward as he's making us run the channel and deal with that challenge. Or it might be sometimes you protect him. I don't know. It's the conversation for the coach. But sometimes they'll go, oh, let's protect him. I'm going to put Warren in there at centre-back and we're not going to get exposed. Do you know what I mean? But then Yaz doesn't get better at defending wide areas. You've got to make those challenges. You know, sometimes coaches will solve the problem for the player um, in terms of like they'll remove decisions for them in other examples. Um, but then does that player get better at understanding why? Do you know what I mean? Or they've been told to do something, but do they understand the why? I want you to spread out. I hear that a lot. I hate, I hate that word, spread out. But they'll do it. But do they know why and how? Are they taking on board information from the environment, the necessary triggers to form good habits where they recognise that information? They go, right, this might be a time where I make that movement wide or maybe I'm, I support from behind or maybe I come inside. So it's less about they'll do it because they've been told to do it by the coach for more the developing that instinctiveness. So I know there's a lot in there and apologies, um, but I would say developing decision-makers is it's linking back to that environmental piece, isn't it? You know, do we see the role of the coach as a learning designer and how you're creating these learning opportunities for players? Consequences. What's your thoughts on that, Yas? Yeah, there's a lot in there, mate. Um, uh, quite a lot. And, I've, you know, I'm, I'm just mulling over some of the thoughts that have come through my head again. So, you know, you, you mentioned the first thing around. Have we got you? Can you hear? Yeah, can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? So, yeah, you know, just mulling over a few thoughts that you mentioned there. And I think one of the key things that came out for me was looking at the role in the organisation of the practice. You know, I was having a conversation with someone earlier and it was literally around the use of neutral players in practices as an example. And something that you mentioned, it was about consequences. Actions have consequences. And I think that is so fit into what this is. So, um, oh, one second. You back, G? I can, can hear you, you perfectly, yeah. I agree with you. Oh, yeah. Perfect. So, yeah, so just looking at consequences, uh, you know, actions have consequences regardless of where you're on the pitch. So, the, you know, the conversation was around neutral players. And I said, well, the way I look at this is if I'm putting on a practice, there's one question I have to ask myself in every single session I deliver is the decisions and the consequences and the that are impacting on this player's ability to perform in my practice, are they consistent with that of the game? So using neutral players as an example, typically, right. typically players are used as in-possession um, supports to create overloads potentially. Just a very basic example of what it could look like. But actual fact is this. You can argue to the cows come home that the neutral player might get more more time on the ball, more opportunities to play in possession, and it might be an individual thing for them. But you could you could argue that it gives you more opportunities to, to coach overloads. But the reality is this: there is no consequences for that neutral player making a mistake, because in that typical fashion where that neutral player is in possession automatically they're staying in position. So they never have to go out of position. Therefore, they don't have to deal with the ramifications of making a mistake or playing the wrong type of pass because they're just going to try and get themselves back on it. Now, if that's the case, when they're playing a pass, 
half of their mind is also now in the mindset of actually what am I going to do when I'm attacking the other way now and then when they get into that phase they're now again thinking about what they're going to do when they're attacking the other way now so their positioning in relation to where they're going to be situate themselves on the pitch their decisions in relation to how they're going to um, you know penetrate the opposition or operate within the space that they're in is going to be completely misaligned with what the game is going to expect them to do and if that's the case, we can't, you know, that, that, that for me is a blanket example of how we don't go about developing effective and solid decision makers, especially in the way that you framed the decision maker in particular. And I think to build on that is looking at the considerations. So what are the considerations? So, you know, if I pick it up in a particular area of the pitch, what are the variables that I'm going to be expected to deal with in a game? What are the variables that are going to impact on me within this practice? Are those consistent? And then, you know, building on and leading on from that is what you talked about observation a little bit. And one of the key things I often ask coaches to think about is this statement. We've seen it. They can do it. But how do, you know, how do we know that they know they can do it? And what I mean by that specifically is the amount of times where I see a coach who's observed a player and said, yeah, that player can do this. Okay, brilliant. But how conscious are they aware of consciously aware of them being able to perform the action just because we see players that can do it doesn't mean they understand they know and know that the fact they are doing it therefore how are we checking understanding because if that player is not able to recognize consciously that they're able to do xyz or more specifically articulate or demonstrate what it is that we're referring to how can we then expect them to recreate that moment or recreate that action or interaction with the game in the way it was seen and by and observed by ourselves? So that's that's a, that's another piece to kind of look at. So I guess the question I'm really kind of coming out here with is how are we checking understanding and what are we checking understanding of? So one of the common questions you often hear is if we look at the you know go to fast forward to a typical debrief or a, a traditional debrief of a session, right? What did we learn today? Well, they're just going to repeat to you what they think you want to hear. But that's not going to tell you what they learn. Rather, one of the questions which I encourage coaches to now use, and I, and I use it a lot myself, is what was most useful for you from today's session? What was most useful for you from today's interactions? What was the most useful coaching point you've received this, in, in the last 90 minutes? What was something useful that you took away from the opposition, right? Really painting the picture around there is useful things in this environment, but what were those things for you? I love it. So my question to you, Gerard, how would you go about checking that understanding and bringing that clarity that you talked about earlier? to the players in your session and more specifically what would that look like and how would that change if at all on a match day hey sorry two seconds uh, <laughs> just dropped something um, I would say that I think we've got to make sure that we, we, first of all, 
do are we even clear in our own mind what what it is we're looking for? Because I think that's the thing is like, are we starting with the end goal in mind? Where are we starting on the game? And I think, you know, having that clarity around what it is it we're actually looking for will help us when we're trying to think about how do we create and design opportunities for for these coaches uh, for the players to make decisions. So to me that that's probably a first piece. Have we got clarity around the keywords and the sort of player actions that we're looking for? Like the principles that we're looking for? And how can we think about where we're stood? So like the coaching position is huge to be able to get that. Because obviously I'm not saying there's a right and wrong position because I guess to some degree there is, to some degree it depends on if you can see it, can you affect it? But for a lot of coaches, one, they might not know what they're looking for and two, they try and see everything and they're not still in the best spot. And a lot of the time, a lot of our coaching tends to be on ball, but how much of our coach can be focused around off-ball actions? And if it's off-ball actions, then we're encouraging our players to think differently because we're now asking them better questions because we're actually looking more off the ball and we're identifying, hang on a minute, where should this player be? Um, and that type of thing. And we're, we're going to pose better challenges versus if we're only looking at on-ball, we're not seeing the whole picture for a start and also the decision-making is limited because you know we're asking players to make better decisions but we're not necessarily better ourselves at where we look for information. So how can we be better as coaches at where we look for information in order to improve uh, the players being able to solve problems better? If that makes sense. I probably shouldn't say that word if that makes sense, but hopefully that resonates. Yeah, I think it does somewhat. I think the key thing here really is looking at where does that observation start? So in a game watching the game now where do you start what's the first thing you're looking at because you know I think we've had this conversation in the past and probably mentioned it on previous discussions on here where we're uh, certainly myself I try not to look too much around what's happening on the ball I try and look at right what can I impact and what can I influence away from the ball whether that be through direct instruction or whether that be through challenges of questions and perceptions of, of the individuals in those moments so what, what would that look like for you Yeah, well, I would say, I mean, again, you've, you've asked it, haven't you, in, the, in clearing that. I'd be looking a lot. Uh, let's give an example. Like, you're working on your defenders to become better at protecting the goal, defending their own half. And the, you, you want to create certain problems for them to solve. Um, I would be thinking, right, OK, where's my coaching position? Who are my primary players? If I'm working with my back players and my goalkeeper, where am I stood? And maybe I stand on one side so I can affect the attackers first to create a problem. So I'm always orientating the learning initially and I'm, cre- and I'm managing the opposition to create a problem for my team to solve. So I'd work in that order and I would definitely pose more questions than answers, but I would organise them in a way where they do set that trap and, I- and they're causing us threats. So our defence is getting caught out they're not knowing when to press, who to close down, whatever, because the defenders, it's almost like scenario-based coaching because we're, we're, we're encouraging the attackers to attack in different ways. 
then I would be stood maybe behind the defenders and I'd be looking at, okay, what are some of the actions that I'm looking for? So is it who goes when and how? A lot of coaches talk about the what, but it's the how. The what is important, but how do you do it is more important. So it's that detail of like timing of your run, angle of approach, whatever it may be. Are they in good possession? Are they in bad possession? Because if they're in good if they're in good possession, maybe I can't close down because the opposition will pick us off. If they're in bad possession, maybe you know, if it's a slow pass, a bad touch, wherever it may be, there's reduced options. I can pick them off. So I'm, what I'm explaining as I'm talking out loud is I'm saying there's probably certain pictures that I'm, I'm aware of in my mind or that I'm looking to see. I'm looking to see moments when they close down and how they close down when they don't. So when you're planning your session, you could almost think about what does good look like? Does not so good because you and what could go wrong in the practice i'm sure there's a lot of things that could go wrong but it's definitely a good thing to to think about you know what could go wrong in the practice ah well because players are cheaters players will cheat so whatever rules you create the good ones will figure it out and they'll have solved that problem hopefully and they'll challenge your practice design which is great because there's some stuff that i've done where it's worked really well, and then I've done it with better players at academy level or whatever, and they've defended. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> you know, it's too easy for them, and they've done something. It's like, yeah, we, you know, or the motivation might not be there. They might think I'm not closing that ball down because what's the point? You know, I wouldn't do that in a game or whatever it may be. Or if that's it, I'm going to do this. But then those aren't the actions that we want in a game. So you've really got to think about what can go wrong in the practice. So you're thinking about that what if, and then as you've done that you've almost primed yourself with different things that you want to look for and try and focus on one or two of them. And then how are you going to skillfully guide the players to search for information, which then gets to that last piece around. So when you're coaching and you're talking to the players, are you saying, are you giving them the answer or are you giving them a problem to solve? And are we allowing them enough time to experiment as well and explore? Because sometimes what we do is, you know, we're very skilled at it. We'll ask questions, but they're closed questions. So it's pretty clear that there's a right and wrong answer. So we're influencing decisions. There's two open. So it's, it's ambiguous. How can we do it where we're asking them questions, but we're, we're not necessarily telling them the answer. We're not telling them what to do, where to look, how to move, but we're giving them clues. We might use analogies. He's setting a challenge. Stuff out. And then when they do those decisions, you're reinforcing that good behavior. Or, or if they've tried something, but it didn't quite come off, are you helping them to go, all right, well, what was the reason why it didn't come off? Was it, was it the timing? Was it the positioning? Was it the weight of the pass? So they saw the play and they tried to play through, but it was the weight of the pass that was the issue or whatever it may be. Um, so, yeah, hopefully, hopefully that helps. Um, yeah, I don't know what your thoughts are there, Yaz. No, I think there's a lot in there, and, you know, 
if I come right back to the top of it, the way I look at it is, you know, what does good look like? What does what does great look like? What does excellent look like potentially? So <laughs> I like to use the analogy of uh, the B tech, right? You've got past merit distinction, right? What's the minimum requirement here that we need the players to be able to achieve, right? What would that be the next level up, and how would they go even further to demonstrate that? So, for instance, you know, if I'm looking at receiving as an example yeah i want my players to be in a position where they can receive and be able to see where the ball's coming from and where they want to take it in one shot that's a bare minimum for me now what would be on top of that well i want you to be in a position where you can see where the ball's coming from see where you want to take it but be in a position where you can also if the ball had a set of eyes it can see your feet in a, in a way that the ball can come to you and allow you to play for, play forward in your first touch or potentially run onto it if need, if either, if if possible. The next piece beyond that is possibly right. Well, I want you to do all the above, but actually now I need you to be in a, in a position that's off different lines than than anyone else on your team. Encouraging them to challenge the opposition to actually make a decision right whether to come, go, stay, or where where they might pick up their their defensive shape. If that makes sense, so I think it's a, it's a great way to look at it. But you know, the the key thing that you mentioned obviously is about the questions. I think as coaches. We want to try and go down the route of using Q&A sometimes. We want to encourage more questions. We, we'd like asking more questions sometimes. But there's two parts to this for me. First, first thing is this. When you're asking a question, or before asking a question, ask yourself this first. The question I'm about to ask, is it to search for information or to hear an answer? Is it to search for information or to hear an answer? Now, if you are trying to hear an answer, this question will not support your players and their understanding, their development, or their learning around anything that you've done. All you're going to do is just hear the answer you're looking for or you're not looking for, and it will tell you whether you're a good coach or not in your head. If you're searching for information, this takes vulnerability and it takes you having to take your ego out of the process because you've got no idea what the players have understood from you. You've got no understanding of what their perception is at this point. But that is what you're searching for. You want to know what they've understood. You want to know why they feel that way, why they see things that way, what they're noticing. And the list can go on. But you need to be searching for information in a genuinely curious way, as if to say you know nothing. That's the first piece. The second piece around the questions, in my opinion, is when asking such questions, you also want to be considerate of whether the language that they are using has the same definition to them as it is to you and vice versa. Do they understand the questions you are asking and when you do ask them? Or do they just answer to the question in their perception of that question? So it might even be you ask a question and then follow it up with them giving you an, you know, some sort of understanding of what the question means to them. Now, coaches will say, yeah, but this, this process might take a little bit longer. And I've actually had people say to me, yeah, but yes, you spend a lot of long, you know, long time on some of your interventions. And typically, that happens when I'm early on in the players. Players, you know, I'm really getting to know and understand what my players know, where they're at. So my response is always, well, okay, fine, come back in six weeks and let me know if you still feel that way. Because by that point, I've understood enough. Enough to be able to just drip feed and reference 
conversations that I've had with these individuals around some of the discussions we've had, some of the answers they've had, some of the solutions that we've that we've that we've collaborated on. So there's there's a lot there's a lot in there. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, and I know Tony, you know you're you're keen to get involved as well. No, I just want to add to it because I think definitely got to jump over to Tony and, and anyone else. You know, um, my initial thoughts are I do agree, and I think it's a skill in being able to ask questions. I love that question around, is it an answer, which is low level thinking skills. It's almost like playing bingo with the kids and we're just, they're just regurgitating information or the key words that they've heard us use. And it's oh, that's the answer I'm looking for. Or your guiding search. I love that. I think that's such a good takeaway. Um, and equally on the flip side, playing devil's advocate, there'll be those that are listening that will think, I heard this. I, I love questions. Anyone want to see me now? I've, I've gone from one extreme to the next now. But um, I, was, I was having this conversation with Tim Bradbury recently, and he made a good point in that he gets the guided questions and he gets the challenges, but he almost feels that we've become the Riddler. Um, his words, I'm using that phrase because I think it's an interesting one. He said that um, he wants players to be able to solve problems, but he also recognises that some kids do not want to go through the dance this is another phrase he used. I thought, I get it. He said, some people don't want to do the dance. They just want you, you know, you're supposed to be the expert. Just tell me. Um, and I thought I had to think about it. And I was thinking, I guess it comes back to knowing your players and knowing the environment and when to and when not to without going off on a different tangent. Because there will be those that love a challenge and a question. But just like me and you, there's times where I don't want a question. I just want to be told. And then I can figure it out later and then I can ask some question after. You know, you don't always want to have to, because not all, because the other thing as well is some people don't have the answer. They can't verbalize it, but just because they can't verbalize it doesn't mean they don't know. Because some can actually, they can't articulate it, but they can show you on a pitch. I always remember that example of Rio Ferdinand. You know, people would ask him, you know, at what point, what's the timing, what, how would you do this and that? And he couldn't always articulate it perfectly. But actually, he could demonstrate it to a high level. Well, I'd rather take that over any day. And that's the check for understanding, isn't it? And it comes back to, don't tell me, show me. Actually, maybe perhaps some of the questions we ask, we don't necessarily need an answer to. The answer is, show me. Don't tell me, show me. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. So it's a, it's a rhetorical question that you ask the question, but you don't want that answer. You want the answer in the form of a movement solution, a player action. Sorry, Yaz, you got your hand up. Yeah, no, I was just going to, you know, I think there's a great great point there. And I think one of the, you mentioned there obviously about coaches just wanting to go down the route of asking questions, but sometimes players not wanting the question route. Now, one of the things I always do to set the scene with them is, is recognising that that might be the case, letting them know there is no right or wrong answer to this question. I'm just keen to understand where you're at so I can understand where on that journey I can join you. That's the first piece. Second piece for me is also, actually, we can we can squash all of this by asking an even better question. How would you like me to coach you? 
in what ways do you think I could support you in your understanding of what it is that we're trying to do today? Because they will let you know those things if they don't want the cope, if they don't want the long winded Q and A approach, if you like, if that's how you want to refer to it, or they wanted you to give them a bit more direct instruction. And this is the key piece here. I think over the last few years, and I love that, I love that the, the the concept of you know we've become the Riddler, because I think people have, people genuinely have become the Riddler to the point where they don't even understand the question they're asking or why they're asking it. So I think it's really important now that we start to understand right what are the questions we're asking. And what are we actually trying to get out from those questions? And if it's just a ticker box to say, I used questions in my session today, then you've missed the point. <laughs> so, you know, that was just just in response to what you said there. But I'm, I'm keen to hear what Tony's got to say. Evening, Tony. How are you, man? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks, guys. Um, again, really interesting topic. And it kind of... So it stays on track and then it veers off a little bit and, and it's skillfully brought back by, by you two guys. Um, I've made a couple of notes tonight, which I don't normally, I normally just listen and then jump aboard when I, when I think I've got something to say. Um, so this, I'm going to just go back a little bit into what you were talking about earlier on. And actually, you just touched on it again before I came on there. I wrote down, does it actually matter if players aren't deep thinkers? I think that sometimes that we as coaches, coach educators, coach developers think that think too much. That um, you know, Yaz just mentioned about do how do you want to be coached? I've just had a recent conversation with some of my players who I've moved away from academy football now back into grassroots football, and they just want me to tell them, you know. So they're not great deep thinkers about the game. They want to turn up. They want to train, they want to play on a Saturday, they want to go home and then they want to play again on a Sunday for their other teams. You know, and for me, I'm okay with that. I'm comfortable with that. I know that if I go back into an academy setting or a coach education setting, I can adjust my coaching to the audience, um, as it were. Second thing I I wrote down, and, and it was off the back of something that Yaz said earlier on, is... Don't underestimate the power of instinct. If a player can't give you the answer, but can repeatedly do the perform the skill, the technique, whatever you want to call it, the, the player action within training and game settings, I don't really care if he doesn't understand it. Uh, and I go back to the, um, the example that a lot of players, when Glenn Hoddle was first getting involved as a player manager, I think it was at Swindon, where his players said that, they had a problem. He could demonstrate anything. He could do absolutely anything you wanted with the ball. But he sometimes had a problem breaking it down because the players weren't at his level. So, particularly if you get higher up the levels, if those players are instinctive players, just let them get on with it. If they're not going to damage your team. A uh, couple of other little points, uh, if I may, before I, uh, I'll let somebody else dive in Tony, really quickly on that I just want to jump in on that last point before you move on I think it's a great point I, I think just want to clarify as well when I'm looking at that specific scenario I'm not so much asking for the play to necessarily break it down I'm not so much looking for that piece there what I'm really more conscious of is if they're very aware of what might have an impact on that i.e. they performed an action in a particular way because of where the defenders were 
because of how how far the distance in the distances were, because of where the opposition players might have been situated, because of where their own players might have been situated. So more from a, I guess, a general tactical perspective around the influence of that decision on that instinct that they've now demonstrated, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, it boils down to how many times has that player been put in that situation over the course of his or her playing career? Um, and if if they've been put in that situation time and time again, repeat the action time and time again, again, I'm not particularly bothered about deep diving into it. It kind of led me on to my next bit, um, which is to do with repetition. Um, and going back to the overall theme of developing decision makers, I think the practices that we put on, and, and, and please don't get me wrong, I, I'm as guilty as this as the next player. There's, there, there is value in repetition, but actually, is it possible? Is it possible to repeat the same pass over the same distance time and time again without a bobble, without a bounce, without interference from the wind or the surface or anything else? And the one thing that that led me on to, and for me, this is now why I do as much as possible of this as I can. The only repetition that's, that's possible is repeating the game. So if I give them game-based scenarios where I want the ball to start at the opposition right back, that's the only little bit that I can repeat without knowing what's going to happen next. So the ball starts here and you play what you see. Once you play what you see, um, I can almost guarantee you'll never play the same pass. You'll never come up with the same solution again because something will change. No, and I think you're spot on, Tony. I think it's a fantastic point. It leads us directly into kind of some of the stuff that me and Joe are hopefully going to be unpacking in our webinar this coming Sunday or next Sunday, rather. And it's that piece of repetition without repetition. And we'll, we'll, we'll unpack it further and go into a lot more detail around it. But ultimately, what kind of repetition are you chasing as a coach in your sessions? Are you repeating and chasing the repetition of the action the player action, as you refer to it as Tony, are you trying to get them to perform the action in a particular way? Because I'm fully, on, I fully agree with what you said, Tony. You're never going to play the same pass twice, right? If you really dissect it, there might be a, you know, a, 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 a half a mile of wind extra next time you play that pass, or half a mile of wind um, shorter the next time you play that pass, or there might be the extra two centimeters played in that pass. So you're never going to get that full, complete repetition. And in fact, the fact is, why would you want to? Because you're not, you're not going to keep facing that same situation in the game. There's always going to be a slight difference in the variables. And this is what I was referring to in the previous point. It, you know, I, I, I think, I think you're spot on. If it's instinct, if it's all of those things, I don't really care whether the player can necessarily break it down if they're able to perform it. But what I do have a conscious uh, uh, focus around is are the players able to understand what would have impacted their decision to have a better understanding of how they might manipulate that next time run if those things aren't present so a player might be great at receiving the ball with their back to goal and they spin off every time onto their right shoulder but do they actually recognise the reason why that's so successful and they like going to that right shoulder is because they, they typically pick up a position that has the defender on their left shoulder as an example so, you know, I'm working with a player at the moment and they have this habit of receiving the ball on their, 
on their left foot and then turning out on their left shoulder. But they'll do that regardless of where the defenders are. Now, they're great at performing the technique of that action, or rather the action of that technique, but they're not recognising actually what's causing the, causing the successes and what's causing the failures in, when, in the performing of the action, if that makes sense. So that, that, that's where my point was kind of more leading to. But I think you're spot on. It's looking at the repetition without repetition and ultimately not looking at the repeating of the action, but the repeating of the process leading to an action. Therefore, you're repeating the scenario and the process of finding solutions to deal with the problems that are faced within the scenario. Go for it, Tom. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, the key point there about the, the, the player who always receives on his left foot always turns left. That's, that's technique. And this was this is now going to lead on to a discussion we had a couple of weeks ago, um, which I'm sure we're going to follow up in a not too distant future, where what's a technique, what's a skill, what's the difference, how can you develop one from the other? So I can develop, and I know that you're not a big fan of unopposed. I can develop technique in an unopposed practice, um, but actually, the skill then becomes the skill of that technique, if you like, putting it into an opposed practice depends on other variables. So if the defender always marks my left sh shoulder and I always always receive on my left foot and turn left, I'm going to lose more balls than I retain. So do I scan? Do I check? Do I feel? Do I use my hand behind my body to check which side he's on? And actually, if he's on the left shoulder, can I receive it on the outside of my right foot and go the other way? Or can I take it on my left foot so he thinks I'm going to turn left and then drag it to his right so that I can get away from him? So that's the, the I guess, the real big difference, you know, from technique to, to a skill practice. Um, and like I say, I've, I've got all the, the, the very old level two stuff where we go from a, an unopposed technique into a skill practice, into a game related practice, which, you know, I'm happy to share um, out of my Dropbox if people want to see. Tony, so, I think you made a great point there. I just want to, you know, really kind of tail off on that. You're right, I don't like unopposed practice. Um, but if we're going to really look at those technical pieces, I, I guess where I've kind of come to it now over the years is, right, what's objective and what's subjective as part of this technique? And what I mean by that as an example is if I want to strike the ball in a straight line along the floor, there's only one place I can hit it to make that happen. It's not so much dependent on what part of the foot I used to do that, although that would also, although that would subsequently have an impact on maybe the velocity, the weight of pass, the speed, and whatever, all that stuff. But ultimately, there's one objective thing that needs to take place here, and it's the part of the ball that I need to strike. So I think those bits there that are objective within each technique, whether that be striking the ball for a pass, a finish, whether you're looking to dribble or whatever else it is that you want to work on, I think those are the key pieces that we need to kind of really stick to. And the challenge for the coach then becomes, is right, what are the subjective pieces here? And the pieces that are subjective, how could they look to still get that success? And I think this is where we start getting this decision-making piece comes in, where you've got 
certain players who might strike the ball in a particular way, but the outcome is there. The outcome is there. They're recognising that if I strike it this way, as long as I'm doing X, Y, Z, it's going to achieve the outcome that I'm looking for, or at least make its way towards that outcome anyway. So I think that piece is really key. And it, it, you know, that brings us onto a kind of a whole other debate around whether there's enough understanding of those subjective and those objective technical detail pieces and that real underpinning of that knowledge in today's generation of coaches. But, you know, I don't want to take it too far off topic, but I, th- I think I, g- I, get, I get the logic, I get the philosophy and I get the approach in terms of right taking it back to the technique. But if coaches are going to be doing that, I think they really, really need to understand those objective and subjective pieces there. I'm not sure if you've got anything to add on that, Tony, or even Gerald yourself before we bring someone else in. No, nothing from my end, but it's good. And I think I'm actually really excited to deep dive into the repetition without repetition and what it means in the webinar next week. I think that's going to be really, really fun for coaches in terms of design environments where, you know, you're you're repeating that process of, being able to search and discover and exploit a particular action, but under varying circumstances. I know that's underpinning a little bit of the, even the new content with the UEFA C and what have you, where they're even looking at how can we create uh, varied experiences within a learning focus. So it's not just uh, what would years ago, it was that constant practice, wasn't it, type of thing. So no, good, really good. I can see Johnny's waiting. Yeah, just before we get Johnny on there, just to kind of link into what you said there, Gerard. Obviously, for anyone that's not aware, myself and Gerard are running webinars once a month. I and mean, our next one is coming up next Sunday. And it's literally going to be around this topic here, developing decision makers, where we're going to unpack a load of different stuff um, with some real solid um, justification, rationale for why, why we believe it should be done that way. Um, and if you're not sure about that, please do get in touch. Let us know if you want to, if you want to get booked onto that. Make sure you're following us as well, guys. And Johnny, over to you, man. Talk to us. How are you this evening? Evening, fellas. Yeah, good. Just enjoying enjoying listening to everyone and trying to stick on the topic of, of developing decision makers. And I'm trying to think of things that haven't been mentioned, just to get your guys' thoughts on it, because I love just listening. And I think one is, is the whole player environment. So if you as a coach are doing it one way, but the player goes into the car or off to a one-to-one coach, which happens a lot now. Do you know if, if you're roughly all kind of communicating on the, the same level? Because if you're doing one thing and they jump in the car and the parents go, nah, try this or try that, then it kind of defeats the, the purpose of what you're aiming at. Um, and also also the fear of failure. I think, the, just to, to be quick, I think the fear of failure hasn't really been mentioned and... In terms of making decisions, I, I would say that's the most important thing on a football pitch is, is making decisions on it. So how do you approach, how do you coach, how do you, how do you physically look on the sideline in relation to failure and do your players know that no matter what they do, you'll be okay with it? Or is there that fear because that will then hamper the decisions? Yaz's hands up so quick. Oh, I'm nervous. What's coming? Go on, Joe. You can jump in first, man. Go for it. No, I think these are great questions. I mean, first thing with the parent, I know Yaz will probably have a few things on that as well. I think that just goes to show, and it's a topic for another day, really, but the importance of engaging with parents and how we engage with them is huge. 
And I think including them in the process in terms of whether it be like what we're working on in the session and things like that, trying to influence that car ride home. And there's a couple of strategies that I've got. Um, it'll go off topic, but there's a couple of strategies that I've used in the past um, that I think we should probably do that in another Twitter space. I think it's a great shout. Um, in terms of decision-making, I think we want them to take risks, but we don't want them to be risk-adverse. And it's that fine balance, isn't it? And it's recognising what to do. And I think it comes from, one, the environment, and two, to answer your question, for me, it's good try. Because I love that word try that I stole years ago from the youth ward and probably a lot of the stuff that probably Tony was um, the architect of in terms of the language. Because I just like how it, it lends that opportunity that the player can have another attempt and they can recognise when to have an attempt and also try and have another attempt. So you're praising their effort. Um, I like that versus when coaches say like unlucky, which is obviously a missed coaching opportunity because it's not unlucky. Um, you know, it's just poor technique or a poor decision. Um, unless there was an earthquake that affected the the ground and it's affected the touch or the seagull came out of nowhere and it hit the ball or a cat on the pitch or something. So um, I think good try, um, good effort, encouraging kids to show you, like can, try to and can you, can you do this? How can you and things like that. Um, show me different ways, you know, how can you uh, eliminate two or more defenders with a pass or a dribble? show me and then they come up with different strategies so you're guiding them to have to search information in the environment but they're also recognizing that the the triggers because it might be that that pass splits them it might be that they play that pass into the midfielder and he's received and it's under pressure and it's a bit dangerous but we've got out or maybe we didn't but it's not that you discourage it because if it's on why not it might not be that the decision was wrong Maybe the technique that the, the receiver used to control the ball and manipulate the ball could have been better. So there's your next coaching point, potentially, for that individual or for the group, depending on if it's a group message. you know. So I think there's loads of things in there where to encourage that exploration and that experimentation, I think these are good words. You've got to create that environment where it's fun that people can try, try things without that fear of failure, like you said. Because the biggest thing is, in, I mean, in football, it's confidence, isn't it? You've got to have confidence. So how do we develop confidence in the players? Um, and yeah, that'll be it. But the, I want to just finish off on something, Yaz, there, which is the behaviour that is in practice, I think, needs to constructively align with the behaviour on a match day. So I do understand that the game is the game. And people say it's different because you're playing to win at the end of the day. Winning shouldn't be a bad word part of development and learning but what sometimes happens is coaches encourage certain decisions in the practices I see this a lot I don't know if Tony has or you have Johnny or the others listening where they're encouraging them to try things and dribble out the back and do this and do that and they're going oh well done great and they're, they're encouraging the creativity but then on a Sunday you say whoa 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 not there whoa not in those areas <laughs> or it's we're one nil down it's like oh no f, f that no up top, get long. So I think it's, if we're encouraging one thing in practice, we need to make sure we're not confusing the kids because why is it okay in that environment but they're not okay on a match day? So your behaviours have to constructively align and, and it goes back to that consequence piece that was mentioned earlier and that's developing the why, which goes back to what Yaz and Tony were mentioning about the understanding and the relevance. 
because if we can develop that, players will then understand and form the good habits on when and where and how. Sorry, Yaz. No, I think it's brilliant. I think, you know, there's a, there's a few things that have kind of jumped out. I'm going to start right at the top of that, uh, you know, talking about the parents, for instance. One of the things that I think is massive and that, uh, it's a trick that too many coaches are missing out on is getting those parents involved. Getting those parents involved is so key for me. And I think it can be transformational in terms of the impact that you're going to have on those individuals. More specifically, it's really just accepting that parents, they want to be involved. They want to show their support and they want to do as much as they can to help their, their children. Um, but the challenge comes is whether they know what that actually looks like in a, predict- in a productive way, which is where the education piece comes in. I think as coaches, as environments, as organisations, clubs, whatever you are, you need to support the education of those parents, get them to understand what it is you're trying to do, why you're trying to do it, so that they can understand what they're looking at when they come to your sessions, when they come to your games, and how that how that's, how that then pans out. So I think that bit's massive. Um, in fact, something else that you mentioned there, you know, as well, Johnny, moving into future discussions. In fact, the discussion that we're going to be taking place that's going to be taking place next week was. Are one-to-one coaches doing more damage than good? And I don't want to unpack it too much here, so I'm just going to leave that one there. We're going to we're going to, we're going to really unpack that one next week and really go into detail around that. But I think the first piece is around is around the parents. Get them on board. Get them understanding what it is you're trying to do, and give them a role within it too. Challenge them, support them, give them some guidance around how they can take away some of the key messages that you're bleeding into your environment away from there. So I'll give you an example of what that looks like for me. I run a grassroots club and we bring our parents in once every six to eight weeks and do this. I, I deliver a CPD with them. I give them an update on what the philosophy is, what the curriculum looks like. What are some of the key phrases, words and statements that we're using in our environment so they know what they're looking at and listening to on the match day and in training sessions? There are key conversations that they can then lead on with with their players when they're away from the environment because they're going to have more contact time with the players than we are. So let's let, let's utilise that. Let's see what we can bleed into that. So that's, that's, that's one piece. The other piece is I've got um, what I've started doing now with the, with the club that I run is I've started giving the match day guys for all the coaches. Parents have access to it electronically. They know what we're looking at, what we're trying to do, what we're, what we're not trying to do, what are the key messages. Um, just really just bring them in as if they were part of the coaching staff. Obviously, they've got different roles and different responsibilities, but they should still have a shared understanding of what it is that we're trying to work towards because that, for me, gets their buy-in. And then I think the final piece is really just, again, that, that piece that Gerard talked about around match day behaviour and your training behaviors. There should be some alignment. Of course, there's going to be some differences. Of course, there's a different, you know, there's different things at stake on match day. I mean, the key, the key thing is this, knowing each individual in your group is going to be so key because it is through knowing each individual in your team that you'll be able to recognize, actually, was that a mistake or was that a missed take? Meaning, were they aware of why and what should have occurred and could have happened and what the variables were within that moment before they made that decision. And if they were and it hasn't worked out, then we might need to unpack it with them. But if they weren't aware, 
before it worked, before it didn't work out or whatever may have happened there. It might be that we might might need to might need to have a different conversation with that individual. So we might need to be a bit more direct and right. Here's what we need to see. Link that back to a play, uh, some learning that's taken place because possibly in your sessions or in previous games. But the key piece is this: don't wait till match day to correct, praise, reinforce, or whatever else you feel it is that your role as a coach is. The match day is an opportunity for you to reference back to things that you've already covered within great training sessions, in my opinion. Reference back to conversations that you've already had with that individual on in the warm-up, during, you know, during a drinks break, or whenever those conversations may have taken place. Match day for me is about referencing back to the learning that you've already checked has taken place in previous interactions. And I, that, that, you know, those are just some considerations to think about. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add there, G. No, I think it's spot on. I think the good thing with these things is it, the great conversations out there. And if you can leave away with a, a few things, whether you agree or disagree, I think at least it sparks some curiosity. Um, I'm conscious how much, because the thing is, we cover so many topics, don't we? It's how much is too much. A bit like when we talk about with the players. It can be sometimes the same with the coach, isn't it? I don't know if that's enough for today or not. I, 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 I think so. I think, you know, you're, you're right. There is a lot of stuff that we've covered. And I think we do always cover a lot of different things, which I think is brilliant. But I think yeah. one thing for certain, you know, on the, on the note of asking questions, what I'd ask everyone to do here is if you could just leave us a comment on the bottom yeah. of this discussion, just letting us what was the most useful takeaways, if at all anything, from this conversation. Has it left you with more questions? If there is more questions, what kind of questions are you now thinking about? Um, but also, make sure you're following us. Both myself both my, and Gerard, make sure you're following us. Um, and if I could ask a massive favour from everyone here, if you can hit on my profile, I've got a pinned tweet regarding our webinar next week. If you could reshare that, that would be massively appreciated. It just gives us all the support and motivation that we need and encouragement that we need to keep these conversations going and make sure that we can continue growing this community. I don't know if anyone else has got anything that they want to add at this point or any questions they want to kind of tail in on. No, I just want to say a massive thank you to everyone who's joined in on the discussion today. I mean, it'd be great. I think that's a great challenge from you, Yaz, is, you know, even the ones who have joined in late, what are the key what are the key things that you consider for developing decision making in your environment and the ones who listened what were the key takeaways as Jazz said that'd be great if you could leave a comment and then obviously we can continue the conversation leading into the next webinar and I think the big thing is how we apply this in our environments you know what are we going to do differently that's going to create better decision makers for tomorrow because we're always in that danger aren't we of you know, if we always do what we've always done, we're going to get what we always got. You know, and the, it's earlier, the quality of the questions that represents the quality of values. Are we preparing them for tomorrow, that future game, or are we playing them for the game just to be as good as we were or as bad as we were maybe as yesterday? And we want to keep evolving the game, don't we? That's the, that's the beauty of it. We've got to take this game to another level. So if we're talking about decision makers... Maybe that's that next piece, Yaz, that we can unpack even in the webinar and even in future Twitter spaces is what's it look like for the future player, that those decision-making skills. Um, but I think we've covered loads today, which is good. 100%. 100%. No, I totally agree. Guys, you know, unless anyone's got any other questions or any, any things they want to add, then 
think that's it for tonight. You know, like I said, we'll be back next week um, with the webinar. So if you can hit my profile, make sure you're resharing that link for us. You know, really much appreciate if you do. Um, and next week's conversation, you know, I know it's going to spark a bit of debate, but it's going to be literally discussing whether one-to-one coaches are damaging or doing good for the players in today's generation. Um, so, yeah, that would be massively appreciated if everyone can reshare that. Make sure you're following us. Let us know your thoughts, what your key takeaways were, what was most useful from today's conversation. And until next week, guys, take care. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.